wizard, Harry. That was too close. You were almost a jibble sandwich. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? What? Did we just become best friends? Yup! As you wish. See, the universal greeting works every time. Alright, three, two, one. So we're here today to talk about the movie Doom, the new one, not the crappy one from the 80s by David Lynch. So fans of The Initiated, those of us who love the book, I love the movie. I thought they did a really good job. If you're a book lover and you didn't like it, you're probably a chode. The thing is, the little bits that they left out, they didn't matter. It would have been just window dressing. Uh, But pretty much most of the script was verbatim from the novel. What else do you want, you chodes? I should probably use a different word. So I'm going to try and pass it over to my colleague, Eric. James, you were just supposed to tell me what you thought about the movie. You didn't do any of that. James, tell me how you feel about the movie. Get into it, dude. They killed it. Like, visually stunning. Uh, I pretty much sums it up by saying they, they followed the book to a letter. Uh, Dave Villeneuve took what was called the unadaptable book and adapted the shit out of it. And killed it. Uh, so, ja- I know, I know. Uh, James just pointed out that I still have, have a beer. So we're at Flywheel, where I originally started this podcast at, and we're going to record this Dune review. Um, we are down to one mic, though, so James and I will be passing it back and forth, which is going to be unbearable some of you listeners. Um, we decided person who gets mic first is whoever chugged their beer first. He finished his, and I got halfway through. Oh, God, that hurt. Why'd I have to choose the highest IPA here? Anyways, I'm not a coward. So you're listening to Calm Down Nerd. I'm Eric Smith. Uh, follow me on Twitter at it sincerely underscore Eric. You can follow the podcast at Calm Down Nerd P. But, dude, we're going to review it real fast. Timothy Charlemagne. That dude, he's a little bitch, but he's a pretty boy. He's a very beautiful-looking human. I kind of back and forth whether or not I like him as Paul because if you think about it, Paul is supposed to be a scrawny little pretty boy, royal tea who has to learn how to be a dirt, gritty person. If, if you want to go down that road, they could have picked uh, the actor who was in Ender's Game. His first name, Asa, last name, can't remember. Um, that skinny bastard probably would have been a good Paul. But you also got to consider, you got to pick somebody who can be both young Paul and older ass-whooping Paul. Freddie Highmore should have done it. Who the fuck? <laughs> Freddie Highmore is somebody that I, before even knowing Tom Holland was a person, I think should have been Spider-Man because he has that youthfulness to him that you could buy into it being sort of a, uh, you know, someone from royalty basically, like someone who's a pretty boy, but someone who can like act up and play a very serious role. So I mean, that's just that that was my pocket pick was Freddie Highmore. Um, so my takeaway from this movie is if they don't make a part two. It's like a 7 out of 10. If they make a part 2, it's like a 9 out of 10. They need a part 2, though, or else this movie falls. So, as somebody who has not read the book, how did you feel about where they decided to cut it? Because you have no idea what's coming next. I read the book. I'm a fucking nerd, you idiot. Fair. Fuck me. It's my wife who hasn't read the book. She 
she thought it ended at a great spot, even not knowing what was coming next. Now, let me retrace my steps. As somebody who has read the book, as you finished the beer that you're way behind on, what did you think about where they cut it at? They cut it in the best possible place, but the thing is, it's you're still in Act 1. You're still in Act One of the book, so you end. It's a, the part one is all Act One. There's like their big climax is that fight with Jameis, which is very. It's very important in the book for his growth, but it's James is saying that it's an itty bitty spot, which is very true. It's it's something that like contextualizes Paul's growth, but the story would fairly well work the same without it. It just makes the story better. Dune is 700 pages. Obviously, there's a lot there that needs to be there, and that's part of it. But it didn't even need to be in the movie, honestly. The Jameis fight? You don't think the Jameis fight needed to be in it at all? I think they could have done the whole book if they cut out the Jameis fight and some other stuff. Should they? No, because I'm ready for five of these movies. So what what I'm most excited about is they're truly setting up a franchise, and we haven't seen a new franchise in a long time since Tony Stark appeared in Afghanistan. And what was that like? Oh eight. So so if they if they really hit it off of the park, and it, it boggles my mind they haven't officially greenlit the part two. Um, there's a whole litany of books they can go into just in this one franchise. That's very true. I mean, I think that as far as breaking it down to each section, the cinematography was amazing. The musical scores was amazing. Um, I do think there could have been some balance with sound. At times it felt like it had the Netflix effect, which is just like some of the music or the literal sound effects were too high and the actual voices were too low. But it was beautiful. I love who they picked for Jessica. And just the whole cast was amazing. James just made a comment about her body, which, you know, I'll leave that up to him to repeat later. Um, so uh, I'm surprised at how much of a backseat Batista took because he stole the scene when he was in it, and by God, the Baron was terrifying. What were your thoughts on Baron? I was wondering how they were really going to do it without making it farcical to reference again the David Lynch version of Dune. I think uh, Skarsgård is a phenomenal actor and if you read about how he got himself into character um he didn't go full method or anything crazy like that all he did was pretend he was a person with no empathy and he fucking nailed the character yeah it might not be full on uh, method acting like uh that guy from gangs of new york i can't think of his name right now but whatever he did to prepare for that role daniel day lewis god i'm an idiot um was super solid um yeah, I didn't realize he was a Scarzard. Scarzard eight. He's the father of all the Scarzard. James has told me. So that means that like Wizard twelve. I know. Um, big fan of the one who played um, Pennywise in the It movies, and then we have another Scarzard in um, the Marvel movies. Is that the same guy? That's the same. James is yelling at me right now because that's the same guy. And I didn't even. The Professor and Thor movies with um, <laughs> tell him what, how you feel about Kate Kate uh, God Kate Dennings yeah tell 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 our listeners how you feel about Kate Dennings, AKA Tits McGee. Yeah, that's what we refer her as around these parts. But um, he did a solid job. Um, some of the other casts I'm trying to think of. Um, 
Josh Brolin was in it, right? Uh, Thanos was in it. Um, There's one more. Aquaman was in it. Yo, tell me about how you feel about his beardless face. Because I've known known Momo. uh, I've been a fan of him since Stargate Atlantis. And even back then, he had some shrubbery going on. But he's a pretty handsome dude, clean shaven, but he he, he needs the shrubbery. Let's call it what it is. So I know a lot of people are really disappointed because they got such a a big name guy to play this character named Duncan Idaho, and next thing you know he's hardly in it. He dies. Well, I'm sorry, but in the book that's how they build it up. There's exposition that makes you love the guy, and making you love the guy makes his death all the more important. And to reference what Eric was saying about Batista getting short shrift, if you if you stop and think long and hard about how that character was portrayed in the book. He really didn't get a whole lot of playtime in the book. He's just he's just setting the stage for Act Two. Batista. Yeah. So if if you're, I'm not, I'm not going to give any away to the second book, second second movie potentially. But there's a reason Batista was so sparsely used, and I'm I'm interested to see how they're gonna come full circle with that. I. Um I forget in the book where his character goes. However, I do know that there's a lot of backstory with... Uh, so, in the movie, uh, quick question. Um, did the, the nephew show up at the Baron in the movie? He never did, did he? Uh, no. no? Oh, psh, all right. So, <clears throat> I actually forget where I finished with in- the introductions. Um, introductions. You're listening to the Calm Down Nerd Podcast. We spoil stuff here. If you haven't read the book, go fucking re- pause this podcast. Go listen to it. Read it. Yeah. So the nephew. Okay. There's a reason Batista was partially used. They're they're hinting at the the true heir of the Baron, which is the nephew whose name I do forget. Um. But I think Batista's used more for the his appearance, the the dread that he's imposed. And I also want to compliment him on how much of a phenomenal actor he's become post WWE. Oh, for sure, um, Drax. He's definitely like Drax. Felt like a. Um, at first, it was kind of a well. Anybody can do this. Like, or, or no, not anybody can do this. There is very much like a cheesiness that comes with wrestling that is commendable for sure and something that's very enjoyable. That cheesiness of just, I want to say overacting, but it's not just that. It's, if anything, un, it's not like you have to go obnoxiously into it, loud, things like that. It's just you have to overact into the character. Undertaker, another perfect example. The way Undertaker just walks in with just his mean mug and just like his shoulders at perfect posture and kind of turns and looks at you, things like that. It's overacting in a sense that just like you're so committed to the bit that like you, you withdraw in some senses and like Batista being able to do that. It's just like, okay, I I get it. That's a very uh, easily transferable between a uh, wrestler and uh, an actor. But the more I've watched it and the more I've paid attention, like Batista, it, he cares about it. It's not that just he can do it. I do think Batista cares. He cares about the art of acting, which is uh, phenomenal, really. I mean, 
I kind of wish he would go back to wrestling. Um, James is giving me a one moment. <laughs> James is trying to think of a movie right now. Um, while I'm going to put the brewer on the spot, uh, do you want to talk about Dune? Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, you can say no, and then I'll just say he said no, and I'll say he makes great beer, and then we'll just go from there. Uh, Josh, right? Josh, yeah. Yeah, Josh, uh, he makes the beer here um, at Flywheel. Um, most of my listeners are not in Kentucky. If they were, I would tell you to come here. So, yeah, Alex, I know you're fucking listening to this in North Carolina. Drive up here and have some beer as you listen to Josh talk about Dune for 30 seconds, however long you want. You can do however long you want, dude. You can just do 10 seconds. That's fine. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I've enjoyed the books for probably the last 10 years. Um, I've only listened to them because I was working behind a desk and on a computer, and it made sense to do audiobooks all the time. So, you know, Isomoff, Philip K. Dick, I love Dune. Like, I got into sci-fi, and... When I watched the film, I thought that it was pretty true to the books. I didn't have a problem with it. Um, I thought, you know, it was adequate. I enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, I, I, I look forward to seeing the second half. That's about all I've got to say. All right, that's coming from a man who makes great beer. So we will trust his opinion, and it will be very valued. Um, so... Dune, first part, part one, um, the opening of it, did you know, and I'm going to pass the mic back to James in a second, did you know that was, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this, a Sarka soldier um, doing the intro? Okay, Emperor's uh, soldiers, what are they called? Sadokar. Did you know that was a Sadokar guy doing it? I didn't realize it. Apparently it is, but give me thought your thoughts on the, uh, nope, do not give me your thoughts on the opening. Um, uh, so we are live right now at Flywheel. And we're at Flywheel right now. Um, we're recording live. So I'm going to pause this real fast. A lot happened. A lot's going to happen. We're recording again. I think we're recording again. Yep, we are. Okay, so welcome to Calm Down Nerd. Um, we're going to continue talking about Dune today. Dune, good movie, greater book. James is going to continue talking about part one. So I had to step out for an unforeseen event, so I'm not exactly sure where we left off of. The last I remember is we were praising Dave Batista as an actor and were kind of upset how little he was used. However, I think that will further the story when it comes to part two, which I'm still shocked Warner Brothers has not officially greenlit. We know it's going to happen. Do you think the same director is going to get part two or they're going to hand it off to like a Zack Snyder? That's just cold-blooded. It's gonna it's gonna be Villeneuve again. Um, you 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 can't. Uh, no, you can't do that to to Dune. Not if it's a two part. Now, if it was like one three hour bullshit, and you had to switch directors in the middle of, you just can't go from like cut to beginning with a different vision. That's entirely fair. I could see part two being done by the same director. Now, I haven't read all the Dune books, but I would imagine if they started saying, like, okay, let's go into Children of Dune, then they would say, hey, Mr. Snyder, Mr. David Ari, where, where are you up to today? James Gunn. Would you like to see James Gunn do it? He's shaking his head. No, that's a hard no. Uh, I'm trying to think of, like, the directors that I know who I'd like to hit a future Dune movie. Um, 
that Shang Chi director did an amazing job. Um, the Eternals director. Eternals director. Oh, all right. Could, here's something very confusing. Um, we're not going to get off into too much of a side tangent. I do hope to do an episode on the Eternals um, after watching it. But was that a James has his phone now? I feel like that was a female director. It was. I'm trying to yeah. Um, Academy Award uh, nominee or winner? Winner. winner. All right. We're winner, winner, chicken dinner. Uh, we play video games here too. But my point is um, I could see somebody else taking over the next Dune series. And that's the – All right. Chloe Zhao. Um, yeah, that's who directed the Eternals. Um, I'm hearing it's got not getting the greatest reviews, but – I'm still excited to watch it when I have the time, but I'm all in for anything MCU. Um, but we're not here for MCU. We're here for quick thoughts on uh, Dune and reviewing it and thinking what we think about it. Um, I liked it a lot, but honestly, I'm repeating myself here. What's your favorite part? If, if, if um, part one is all we get, it's got to be a 6.5 or 7 out of 10 movie. We get a part two, 9 out of 10. Favorite part, if I had to think about it, James just asked me, the way they did the attempted assassination of Paul, I think was really like, that's when I felt the most invested into it, which is like, I knew what the uh, um, outcome would be having read the book, but still, it was such a tensely shot scene, I thought it was great. What do you think, James? Uh, that scene was done incredibly well, but I went super nerd. My absolute favorite part was how they depicted the ornithopters. When they first when they first showed them, I was tapping my wife. I was like, "Oh my god, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes!" Just watch, just watch, because we we just don't know. It's like a souped up dragonfly, but we don't know how to do that at that level of technology. There has been one working ornithopter that flew maybe like two hundred meters. But it was jinky as hell. Nothing as impressive as what they depicted in the Dune movie. In the books, do they describe it as as that kind of dragonfly setup? Um, quick yes or no. no? No. So it's not. In my. Yeah. So for the the fact that it's kind of left open ended in the books, I was surprised to see that. But once I saw the way that the dragonfly operated, my brain immediately went to wait that should be possible like if you think of a bird like an actual bird it always blows my mind like that's yeah, bird like their wings are basically nothing and yet you can get it to fly so if you think about the ships in the movies it's like it doesn't look like much but if you make it flap enough that does not sound like a technical term but if you give it enough momentum it should be able to fly those planes just as described and uh, you know what? I lied about my favorite part. Oh, he's showing me a picture right now. Da Vinci's ornithopter. He's uh, just called it Da Vinci's. Uh, uh, to fly after. And it flaps its wings? Okay, people, Google. Google's a wonderful thing. Uh, working ornithopter. I, I changed my mind about favorite part. The favorite part is uh, when he releases just like. Um, so somebody that I knew years ago, and it's actually what they said to me led me into. Uh, this kind of inside baseball stuff that nobody gives a shit about, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, there's a quote that um, just go with the flow that eventually led me to, I don't know, my way of thinking that led me to be with my wife, basically. I just learned to relax. So the whole go with the flow concept, when he's in that desert storm and he's basically like, oh, I just need to let go. And when he does that, dude, I was just like fist pumping the imaginary air. Just like I was bought in entirely. 
How did you feel about their depiction of the voice, which is such a big part of the overall mythology of both the the Bene Gesserit and the, the story as a whole? Uh, here's a deeper level for you without giving a uh, without giving an answer. I try to explain it to my wife that like they're not necessarily doing magic per se, quote unquote. They're doing uh, so. There's things with body language. My arms are folded right now, just like yours are. Um, half subconscious, half conscious. It's a way to match somebody else's body language to get them to um, associate themselves with you, with personality-wise, and it creates, creates interpersonal relationships is by matching somebody's body language. So to me, there's a lot of interpersonal body language, a lot of like tone of voice used. Uh, so, like, side note, like the biggest fights my wife and I have is tone. Like, I'm somebody with like. I'm not going to go too deep, but, like, uh, growing up trauma, anxiety, blah, 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 like, where I realize my tone, I don't, I, I'm not uh, uh, conscious of my tone, so it comes across bad. Dude, all the magic Paul used and everything is just, he figured out tone like a fucking badass and body language, but there's that second layer there. So, like, that voice, quote-unquote, that's, like, magic in the movie, it's really just him, like, Echoing that body language, but the way they bring across the movie, it's still pretty Gandalfian. Like I liked it, I enjoyed it. I don't know how I feel about the sound effects, though. Do you do you have an opinion on the sound effect? I, I actually enjoyed the sound effect because if you think of it from the perspective of the uninitiated, uh, how how do you convey to somebody the the power of the voice without using some sort of effect to to tweak it? Audibly, like it, I think it worked well. As as somebody who who's read the books, it might be a little off-putting. But you got to think, like, how do you explain the world visually and audibly to somebody who's never read the book? Yeah, it's definitely a good um, assertion of it. Um, they did need to do something. Uh, I would say I wish they did something else, but being unable to come up with an actual answer of what that something else would be, I don't know how much of an actual opinion I have. Yeah, more of a, like, um, no, it's all on air, James. Say what you said again. And no, they could have used some sort of visual effect to make it look like the uh, audio waves were traveling from the speaker to the listener, but in retro, that, that would have been hinky. I, I, I prefer the way they did it with modulation. I would have taken out the modulation and would have doubled down on that tunnel vision that they gave where when they spoke, it was basically just like the camera became slightly shaky and they also kind of just like made everything like, like the frames were layered over. Like if they would have put it across in more of a visual, excuse me, visual standpoint with not adding any special effects, but just like a pure camera usage, I think it would work great. Um, we talked earlier about Jameis. Um, I really like to like uh, acted as Jameis. To me, uh, reading the book versus the movie, I always imagine they're already in the cave instead of just a um, an open space that was enclosed. I guess you would say. Like, did you think that they're in a cave when you read the book? Do you remember? No, the way I visualized it was exactly like you, uh, that they were in a cave. I don't think it was the final cave. Um, but the other thing that I was upset at, and it was the only really uh, little nitpick that got at me that they they left out, is in the authorship of the actual story, they make a big deal 
of Paul taking off his shoes because that's what he was taught by Gurney Halleck in Duncan, Idaho. And they they and they didn't even they didn't even spend time on that, um, which again minor thing, but it just go would have further illustrated the effect that those two gentlemen had on a young Paul. Repeat that last sentence. It would have fuller, more fully illustrated the effect those two gentlemen had on a young Paul. Which two gentlemen? Gurney Halleck and Duncan Idaho. Gurney Halleck was Josh Brolin. Okay, so that Josh Brolin opening scene with um, the crypto, not the crypto knife, but with the shields and them fighting one another. Um, how powerful do you think that came across of that um, training session of him saying he's ready and Gurney Halleck being like, uh, "No, you're, you're you're not ready." It was it was very subtly done. Um, again, uh, Villeneuve had to spend a lot of time world building. Um, he could have made a bigger emphasis on um, the slow blade cuts when the fast blade doesn't. The whole uh, the physics of the shield. It was very subtly done, and to to make it matter more in later fight scenes, it could have been more emphasized. But that's a minor detail. Yeah, I had a. You kind of reminded me. I had somebody that I work with who, when they first watched the movie, they said it was just okay. And then the second time that they watched it, they said they really enjoyed it. Sadly, I do think this movie you'll get more from a secondary watch. They don't do too much exposition. Uh, some of the exposition they even do is um, it's kind of in those, uh, what would you call it, those uh, holograms that you see Paul watch in the movie because those aren't really in the book. It's just in the book. It's just narration of what it is. Um, and Jameson's thought, hold on. Just a quick call out to the shitty 80s version. That's exactly how they depicted it in the 80s version. They just had much crappier technology back then. I mean, Star Wars just had minifigs and paintings, and they did much better. I actually, look, shout out again to, um, I know most of my listeners are not in uh, Kentucky. Um, I know most of my listeners are not in Kentucky, but shout out to Flywheel out in uh, Newtown, Kentucky, Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Um, they have a great um, blockbuster, leave a movie, take a movie, Ben set up. And I'm going to take the David Lynch Dune home, and I'm going to watch it at some point and probably be disappointed. Holy shit, is that Patrick Stewart? I know you said Sting. I know you said Sting was in He said Sting. Cap, okay, Captain Picard is in this movie, so it should be good, theoretically. Right, it's I'm getting a lot of shaking, shaking heads that it's terrible. Um, all right, so we are gonna wrap up soon with some final thoughts on Dune. Um, if you haven't watched it yet, go watch it. Um, I don't know why you're listening to this, considering we're spoiling as much as we possibly can. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for the next one. This is one of the grandest sci-fi things, and it's sci-fi in the sense that like there's. A, yeah, as James just said, it's very foundational in the sci-fi scene, but to me, it's a very centric, like, it, it, it teaches you to build your suspension of disbelief. Some is needed when watching this movie, because you definitely need to take the, whether you read the book or watch the movie, you need to let the story take you on a ride instead of trying to piece it together yourself. Like, just ride the roller coaster, don't worry about whether or not, you know, taking that right turn actually makes sense or not. It it's just a journey, a journey that if you enjoy it, you will enjoy it. Um, 
that's basically my final thoughts is uh, Timothy Chalamet's little bitch. Uh, that's what I was going to tell you, James. We're going backwards here. This is actually kind of important to the nerdum of stuff. So uh, this uh, wonderful person, Michael Moran, uh, did a YouTube video everybody should watch called um, Little Women Fucking Slaps. And he's not wrong. The 2019 Little Women, directed by that one girl who did Lady Bird, is a really good movie. I don't care who you are. Make fun of me. I, I fucking dare you. I'll see you on those Twitter comments. Little Women's worth watching. Somebody pointed something out to me, though. In Paul's vision, did you catch what the difference was? I'm going to hand the mic back to James. Uh, no, I don't know what you're specifically talking about vision-wise. So there's some um, – all right, so Little Women, when they track back and forth um, in the 2019 movie, they use – I'm going to mix this up. It's okay. They're going to – they use blue for past and yellow for future, and that's just a straight-across-the-board tone, tone, cinematography, filter choice that they use where you can tell if things seem a little bit more blue-tinted, then it's past, and it's a little bit more yellow-tinted, it's the future. Again, I might have that backwards. Dune – they use Paul's future dreams. If you see a lot of lens flare and stuff that's out of focus, that is his future ideas that are not set in stone. And then the dreams that are fully in focus with no lens flare, like with Zendaya and some other scenes, then that is the stuff that's set in stone. So they have that fight with Jameis where Jameis teaches him some stuff. If you watch Jameis' background, like there's full lens flare, stuff just seems a little bit more shiny, a little bit more glossed over. Whereas the real stuff Paul sees in the future is actually more granular and more like, not like a darker tone, but like it's definitely not as a spectacular blockbuster. Did you notice that, James? In retrospect, now that you mention it, yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that and I can see the cinematography uh, behind it. Um, I have one last thought for the listeners out there. One thing that they completely did not address in any way that was a major part of the book was the use of atomic weapons. They really, in the book, they were really, really worried about atomic weapons and their use in the wars. And taking the context of when the book was written in the 60s, atomic weapons were super scary. So I'm wondering how much was lost in the storytelling by leaving that out or did it really not matter because we're not in the atomic craze that we were in the 50s and 60s uh, i'll leave that to the listener to ponder upon themselves so my uh, thought about that was somebody pointed out that like um so the shields for one thing and um there's something else as well they didn't really narrow down on the weaponry used in this universe um, so that uh, those atomic weapons, uh, no, no, you know what? It was the, um, the thumpers that they use. Um, the thumpers are used, uh, I forget what their initial purpose is, but it will draw worms to you, um, which is why they don't use it. And then some of the weapons that they use in that universe, like grand scale, um, interstellar travel stuff will attract worms, which is why they don't use it in that world. Um, I yeah, yeah, the shields being one of them, um, and some of the nukes being others, where it's just like, yeah, if you drop a nuke, you're going to attract a lot of worms, like, no matter what. So I think that just was not touched upon due to the fact that, like, the... All right, so um, writer of the name of the story? Ron, uh, Herbert. 
<laughs> so the writer of the story was very much an environmentalist. He very much cared about the earth, the way we took care of it, things like that. And that's things that he thought about, um, which, of course, important nowadays, much more so than it was 60 years ago. So th thinking about that and the way he shaped the story, I think those things are still slightly there, like with Paul of the Palm Trees and the 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 point about water. Like It's much more driven home in the books where it's just like, no, no, like water is just like, it's not a resource. It's like everything. Like, well, I think there was one scene that they brought across where like, um, somebody's blood, or no, when he spit at the table, where well, that's a good point. Um, Stilgar, when he Stilgar spit at the table, and the um, Paul's dad was very confused by it, and then Duncan spit back. He's basically saying like, moisture is the end all be all here, and that's why it's actually a compliment for them to give it. So there were other minor scenes in the book that helped further illustrate it, like um, the uh, the housemaids would take their their dirty towels and like squeegee them out on the back porch for other people to sop up because that's how important water really was. Like even dirty leavings from dirty dishes and whatnot was a prized possession. They left that out of the movie, and I I don't think it was lesser for it. It would have been more window dressing. Um, but I think that the way they presented the, the spitting episode in the hall, that's the only real place they addressed the importance of water between that and the palm grove, which was another kind of minor throwaway thing. Uh, that The palm grove scene was more about the sacredness of it than about the sacredness of the water itself. Yeah, I do loosely remember in the book they pretty much drove home that, like, uh, it's not even just like driving to California and uh, California and just like seeing a, like a lovely view. It's very much just like, oh yeah, that's what he says. So the guy talks about like Paul's just like, well, should we get rid of the trees that way they don't have to be watered? And then the um, let's just say Butler is just like, no, no, like these are sacred. You should not take them down. Like people see this as the life, and it, I I can see that from a religious standpoint. Um, of just basically being like, look, we can see growth. We can visually see. Uh, uh, cinematographically, the way it was, was done is those palms were a symbol of hope. And then when the Harkonnens and the Sidekar came in, they literally were burning hope down to ash. Yeah, I will say the bombing scenes when things go like fucking sideways for that planet was beautifully done. Where I was just like, holy shit, we're in Terror Town. Um, which... <laughs> We can probably talk about that a little bit more. Or we talk about a lot of this movie a little bit more. Um, we are loosely trying to keep this short. That's, I mean, none of my episodes are really kept short. Thank you for hanging out this long and for listening. Um, Dune's a great movie. Go watch it. Um, James, before I give you last thoughts, um, I will. You don't have to give much more to this if you don't want to. But I will say that, like, you served for. Uh, our country, you serve for America. We appreciate that. Um, I know during the time that you had to spend overseas, a dune was very important to you due to the mantra. You can talk more about, if you'd like, about how the mantra was important to you, but off the top of your head, what's the mantra? Uh, so I, at this point, I, I honestly don't remember the full mantra. And when I when I was in the in, when I was in the moment when I was in the poo. All I would say to myself is fear is the mind killer. Fear is the mind killer. Whether I was jumping out of airplanes, I was out on a patrol, um, it was always fear is the mind killer. Fear is the mind killer. 
And then I realized that one of my soldiers could link in his MP3 player to my tank's intercom. So then we would go on missions, listen to Metallica and CCR. Life was fucking good. <laughs> that created a weird segue with Metallica and stuff. But yes, I wanted, um, I knew, I do want to start doing actual, like, quote unquote, like, uh, let's just call them drunken reviews. Uh, I do want to start doing more reviews. When Turner comes out, I plan to do something on that. And when Dune came out, I was like, uh, okay, so um, Mr. James, he was on the um, the episode from the previous incarnation of the podcast. You can find him like in the podcast stream of Calm Down Nerd. Um, he's in there talking about Star Wars about my brother, but I knew that one of the first like uh, real versions of the podcast, that still sounds weird, I wanted to have him on was Dune, though. When Dune came out, I knew I wanted to do an episode with him because of how important Dune was to him with the time that he served and... Um, uh, I was going to say henceforth, but I don't think that's the right word. But basically, you know, everything he did, I knew Dune was important to him, and he's the one that made me want to read the Dune book. Dune book was really good, and this dude nailed it in, that, like, Fear's the Mind Killer. Um, God, was it Sunday? Always Sunday for Adolphia? No. You know what? The book I'm reading now, House of Leaves, which is a whole nother story. Rob, if you're listening, House of Leaves is f- fucking... It's a big book. But House of Leaves has a version of Fear's the Mind Killer... Um, and I know there's some version about, like, I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to look to my internal self. I'm going to see where fear is going. I'm going to follow it. In the House of Leaves, it basically says, I'm going to watch fear go down a dark alley. I'm going to catch it while it's not looking. I'm going to beat the shit out of it. I'm going to leave it on the laying on the ground. And, yeah, that, uh, yeah, only I remain. Like, the House of, yeah, the House of Leaves version is basically, like, I'm going to beat the fuck out of my fear and just leave it sitting there. But yeah, that, that's always set well with me, which is why I appreciate James being with me um, after the actual movie has come out. Um, with that, uh, oh, closer, closer. All right, I got a piece, so I'm closing it quick. Fear is the mind killer, and I am going to downplay how important that mantra is to me because that's just the dude I am. But listen to the full mantra. There, there's depth there, and if you have not read the book. Fuck you. Okay, that is all. Hopefully, this was a shorter episode than normal. Um, again, I'm uh, Eric Smith. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at sincerely underscore Eric. Um, podcast Calm Down Nerd. Uh, that's at uh, Calm Down Nerd P. Um, follow, listen, like, subscribe. Anything you can do. Thanks for hanging out. All right, later. Oh, uh, real fast. Um, James loves Dune. I love that he loves Dune, but you have to like what you love, and I love hearing about it. All right, bye.